Hi, everybody. Greetings from Atlanta, and welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathbun, and coming up on this week's show, we'll be checking in with a former award winner, our outstanding contributor to basketball winner from 2018, Mimi Griffin. And she talks about not only her start in doing women's college basketball on TV, what she's doing today with the U.S. Open men's and women's golf tournaments, and a lot of other great stories. That's coming up in just a moment. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hamrick Berg, one of the largest and oldest independent fee-only wealth management firms in Atlanta. Check out HamrickBerg.com to learn more about how HB has been helping families protect, grow, and manage their wealth since 1989. Before we get to our conversation with Mimi, just one note to pass along in our news and notes section this week, and that's about the revamped schedules for both the NBA and the NCAA as it applies to the draft. Now, the NCAA, a couple of days ago, set a new schedule for early entrance to the NBA draft to withdraw and return to school. Now, everything is getting pushed back because of the pandemic, but the NCAA announced on Thursday that it would give players until 10 days after the NBA scouting combine or August the 3rd, whichever comes earlier. Now, they've had to shift this because, of course, the NBA has changed their timetable as well. As we mentioned last week, the NBA Board of Governors on Thursday approved a 22-team format for restarting the season in late July at Disney in Florida. And the NBA also has said it is planning to hold the draft lottery August 25th, the NBA draft on October the 15th, and perhaps start the new season of 2021 for the NBA by December 1st, but more likely it'll be pushed back closer to Christmas. So we'll keep an eye on those deadlines, but it certainly affects a lot of college players as they get ready to decide whether or not they're going to stay in the draft or return to school. My guest this week is Mimi Griffin. She's had a wonderful career, not only behind the microphone as a real pioneer in women's college basketball on television, Uh, working first uh, at uh, Manufacturers Hanover Trust Bank and then later with Converse, but also had her own company that has been going strong for well over three decades. And you'll hear Mimi talk about what she's up to with the U.S. Open men's and women's golf tournaments and how she works those tournaments for her company. That's all coming up. An interesting conversation with one of my very favorite people, Mimi Griffin. Here it is. Great catching up with a dear friend, Mimi Griffin, who is a former award winner, our outstanding contributor to basketball award winner a couple of years ago. And uh, we catch up with her from her home up north. But Mimi, first of all, just got to ask you, how are you and the family doing through all this madness? You know what, Bob? Fortunately, everybody is safe and healthy and, and doing well and not, not even climbing the walls too much. It's a, it's a very different time as we all no, but it's it's really what you make of it, and there's a lot of uh, positives that you can take away from this experience as well. No doubt. Let's go back and talk a little bit about basketball. Um, you know, your career as a player at Pitt and, and how you got started in broadcasting and, and sports marketing, etc. Take us back uh, to, you know, where you grew up and, and how you ended up at Pitt and, and, and all that good stuff. <laughs> First of all, thank you for remembering that I even played, Bob. That's that's really special. Um, and what's funny is when I was inducted into the women's 
Basketball Hall of Fame, at the beginning of my speech, I said for anyone that wasn't in the audience, I was telling them all I was inducted as a player instead of a contributor. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and played basketball from the time I could walk. I, I actually grew up in a family of three generations of women basketball players. My grandmother played back in the days when men weren't allowed into the, the gyms. They literally had a net around the court. Um, it was really a, a different game and a different time. And then my mother played in the Philadelphia Catholic League in the um, 40s. And that was incredible. Um, she was six feet tall at the time. And her coach told the rest of the players on the team that um, he called my mom the point. And obviously she was bigger than anybody else on the court. But he said he called her the point because the point was to get the ball to Anne so that she could score. <laughs> And, and then my sisters and I um, all played basketball as well. So had a, had a great high school career, won a state championship my um, senior year, and that was the first year, 1974, that women were offered scholarships, athletic scholarships. So Pitt was one of the schools that had offered me uh, a scholarship and on the other side of the state of Pennsylvania, and I, I made my way across the state and uh, played at Pitt. You grew up in Allentown, right? I actually grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster, yes. I live in Allentown now, though. And uh, what attracted you to Pitt, uh, other than the scholarship? Um, you know what? At the time, I basketball was it. I mean, it was my identity. And, and I think most of the other scholarships were from out-of-state schools, and I didn't want to go that far away from home. And so Pitt was kind of uh, the choice because of those reasons. The funny thing is... I didn't necessarily like the Pitt campus because, as you know, it's right in the middle of Oakland, which is a city and right outside of Pittsburgh. And, and um, it wasn't wasn't green grass and, and buildings like the idyllic college campus. So it was something very different than where I had grown up, but um, had a wonderful time there. We are finished with our playing career, which was great. And now it's time to get a job. Yeah. So what happened next? Well, I went to grad school at Lehigh University to get my master's in business. And I worked in the summers. I worked basketball camp, Pocono Invitational, with Bob Kennedy. And that's where I met literally some of the top players in the country would all gather in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania for the summer and teach at, at camp. And some of my greatest friendships were developed there. Um, and I met two young women, Faye and Kay Young, who played for NC State. They were twins, and they played in the first uh, women's professional league, the ABL, and they played for the New York franchise. And during the offseason, they worked in the sports marketing department. It was called Special Events at Manufacturers Hanover, which is a bank. At the time, was the fourth largest bank in the country. It has since morphed into Chemical Bank and then Chase and then J.P. Morgan Chase. But anyway, Manny Hanny back in the day was one of only a handful of companies that had an in-house sports marketing department. And so I would go visit Faye and Kay in the off-season. I happened to meet the senior vice president of marketing on one of my, and I also knew um, the uh, coach at Iona, Coach Kennedy, um, Patrick Kennedy was coaching at Iona at the time. And so I, I got to uh, know his wife who was working in that department. She told me that she was going to be leaving. And so I got some advance notice. I, I contacted the senior vice president to see if I could interview for the job. And 
He said, no, I had you in mind all along, you have the job. So it was one of those things about being in the right place at the right time, but also paying attention to all the opportunities that are being presented to you at the moment that they're being presented. Then it was on to Converse next, right? I, I left Manny Hanny when I got married. I moved to Pennsylvania to start my own business, but I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't, I didn't have the contact base, the national contact base that I needed. So I had an opportunity, a job offer from Converse to serve as their national director of promotions for women's athletics. And they let me work from my home in Pennsylvania. And on the side, I started doing events while I worked for Converse. But in the meantime, it was great because I was all over the country, um, right in front of all the top coaches in the country, worked with the Olympic team in 1980. Um, But also Converse decided they were going to televise a women's game of the week. And because we worked on a shoestring budget, they literally put me in front of the camera as cheap labor. Um, (laughs) I didn't get paid for that, but it was the, again, it was an incredible opportunity. I worked with a woman named Leandra Riley, who at the time was ESPN's only female commentator. Because now, remember, this was the early 80s, and ESPN didn't start until the late 70s, early 80s. So this was in its infancy. And so Leandra, um, we ended up, producing six games that never got aired anywhere because they weren't distributed. The guy, the producer that we worked with ended up being not so reputable. And, um, but anyway, I had the experience of standing in front of a camera and doing these games with Leandra. She recommended me to ESPN. And, and the first year that I did a game for them, it was the division three national championship game. Second year I did two games. And one of those was the division two national championship game. And then from there, it just it just grew. I, you know, I had no aspirations, had no plans on TV as a career, um, but I loved basketball, and in particular women's college basketball. And so it was a way for me to be able to combine my passions. And the only reason I had the ability to do that is I had the flexibility of owning my own business so I could make my own schedule. And not only did you work for ESPN, you also worked for CBS... Uh, starting at this time, and it you really were in on the ground floor of the televising of women's college basketball. This was uh, really starting to become a thing. Uh, they had tied the men's rights to televising women's games, and that really gave it a big shot in the arm. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bob. And, and honestly, I have to give you a shout-out because you were one of those people early on in my broadcasting career who, who were very kind to me because I had no idea what I was doing. I knew basketball. But the TV side, you and Robin Roberts were probably two of the greatest influences and, and safety nets that I had in the business. So thank you for that. But it was, I, you know, and back in the day, I was doing games for um, lots of syndicators. I was doing games for ESPN. I was doing local cable games. I was doing CBS because it was all a, it was all a mishmash back then. And, mm-hmm. and if you remember... ESPN carried the early rounds of the NCAA tournament for the women's side, and then CBS did the semifinals and the final games. So in one season, I would be working the lead-up to the championship game. I would be working ESPN games, and then I'd go on site at the Final Four and, and do the games for CBS. And then there was the breakthrough of getting to do men's tournament games. And we think that uh, – now, I understand – that you balked at the play-by-play guy that you want that they paired you with, but despite that, <laughs> there was a fellow by the name of Jim Marcioni. Oh, he was the best. Gave 
both of us a chance to do NCAA men's tournament games. And we did your first men's game was with me uh, together in Richmond. And it was one of the greatest moments of my career. I was so proud of you and you did such a great job. And that has paved the way for others. Well, and thank you, Bob. And and thank you not only for your kind words, but for way back when, because you, you kept it all in perspective and you kept me calm. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but it was Virginia, Notre Dame. And um, Digger Phelps didn't want to talk to me because he didn't want a woman doing the game. Terry Holland was, was wonderful, but Digger had a little bit of an attitude. I mean, he came around, obviously, and and we had since become friends when we were doing studio work together. But it's funny, because it was, what, 1990. And it was it was groundbreaking. And Jim, you know, he didn't even tell ESPN, because remember, at the time, he was the executive producer for those games. And ESPN aired the game. So he didn't even tell ESPN till the last minute. Um, I think, in order to keep the media frenzy, in check. Um, so it was a really interesting time and one that I, I look back on as um, really educational on my part, but also but also fun and and, um, and amazing. And and I was I never balked at my play by play guy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was so grateful. I was so grateful to Jim to put me together with somebody that I completely had confidence in and relied on so heavily. It was the start of a, a great run for you in broadcasting. And you're such, you've been such a great role model, and it was so great for the Naismith to, to recognize you with the outstanding contributor because it's, it's people like you, Mimi, that uh, trendsetters and trailblazers and, and the changing the landscape that's been so important to the growth of not only the women's game, but the game of basketball in general. I mean, this is the way it should be. And uh, to have great people like you out front really made the uh, made that time remarkable. Yeah, well, it's, that's nice of you to say. And, and um, I, as I told Rudy Martsky from USA Today when he said, well, this is your this is your big, you know, opportunity. And I said, you know what, Rudy, my idea of a big break is finding a reliable babysitter. Um, but my passion was with women's college basketball. So although I had opportunities to continue to do some men's games, um, I, I was in the arena of broadcasting in order to stay close to the game that I loved. Yes, and it's loved you back. Now, you mentioned your company. Um, yeah. Of course, you've been in, in the sports promotion game. What was the genesis of getting going right out of grad school to start your own company? Well, I, I always knew that I wanted to do something on my own, um, but but again, quickly realized that you needed to lay a foundation from which to be able to build. And so, when I worked at Manny Haney, that was that was a great regional foundation. And then Converse really expanded my reach. And the the first client I had was Manufacturers Hanover. They sponsored the Westchester Golf Classic in in uh, Harrison, New York at Westchester Country Club. And so I worked for them for seven years as a consultant. And part of my job was to go around the country to recruit pros because back in the day, you weren't allowed to promote your event or use any of the players' images or names unless they had already committed to your event. And, and a lot of times the players would wait until the last minute. So 
Manny Hanny and Charlie McCabe, who is the senior vice president of marketing there, they were so far ahead of their time. They literally sent me all over the country to other PGA Tour events so that I could develop relationships with the Arnold Palmers and the Jack Nicklauses and the Gary Players of the world to try to get them to commit to our event early so that we could then in turn use their names in our advertising to be able to promote the event and and gain greater galleries and and sell more corporate hospitality. And I don't mean to you know gloss over 30 years of, of being in business, but just to fast forward, now you're doing uh, the promotion in the well, I'll let you explain it for the for the U.S. Open men and women's golf tournaments. And I wanted to ask you about it, Mimi, because we're going through this incredible time where golf's been in dry dock for three months. They're coming back this yeah. week. Uh, and what changes and how all this has happened. So bring us up to date on, on what you're doing now with the two U.S. Open tournaments. Sure. Um, for the last 26 years, we've been the exclusive marketing arm for corporate hospitality for the U.S. Open, and we just took over the Women's Open a few years ago. Basically, we handle all the sales, um, servicing of the clients, and the operations program each year. This has certainly been an unusual year because March 6th, we had an update session for our clients at Wingfoot on site. And that was um, one of the days when uh, one of the large um, festivals was canceled that day. And so all the clients were going a little crazy. Well, the USGA decided about a week after that, that they were going to have to cancel the hospitality program. And they had to make that decision in a timely manner because they were about to have a whole bunch of vendors come on site to start building a literally a city in a, in a period of a few months. So we ended up canceling um, in mid-March and we let all the clients know and they, they got uh, full refunds back. So it's been a really strange time. And although the U.S. Open has been postponed to mid-September, we still don't know whether it will be played with fans, without fans. I think the USJ is anxiously watching and observing what happens this week at Colonial and the rest of um, the months of June and July to see how things fare on the PGA Tour and how they do with without fans and then when the Memorial Tournament is played with limited number of fans. You know, we have to take baby steps a bit. But it's been a crazy time because the clients, they're still wanting to be involved, but nobody's quite sure whether it's safe to be involved. So everybody's in a, a wait-and-see pattern right now. Wow. Well, we've got our fingers crossed uh, for good golf this weekend at the Colonial. And, you know, in a few weeks, uh, the introduction of some fans, uh, and maybe oh, yeah. we can – we can survive this thing after all. Mimi, it was so great catching up with you. Thanks for taking time. Uh, always great to see you. We can't wait to see you here. Hopefully, uh, you can make it down for golf uh, oh, yeah. for the Naismith. And uh, that that pack of thieves you run with. Uh, <laughs> it's yes. the Texas Posse. <laughs> Judy Conrad. And now we're going to have Vic Schaefer on our team since he's the new coach. Oh, that's, that's right. Yes. Well, good. we can't wait to see you guys in Atlanta. And thanks so much for taking time. And congratulations, not only on the Hall of Fame, but being an outstanding contributor. And you do so much for Naismith. And, and we thank you for that. And, and always great catching up with you. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Mimi, thank you, and we appreciate you coming on with us this week. That's going to do it for this edition. want to again remind you of our sponsor this week, Homrick Berg. Check them out 
at homrichberg.com. That's H-O-M-R-I-C-H-B-E-R-G.com to learn more about how HB helps families protect, grow, and manage their wealth. That is it for this week. Thank you for downloading and joining us each and every week on the Life Podcast. From Atlanta, Bob Rathbun saying so long.